0: This is going to be an amazing Third Eye podcast. Yeah, I can't I'm very wait. Oh, Hold God. on. Okay, we, got, we have to run <laughs> down the list. Hold on. Okay, The Office, no. No. Friends? Yes. Okay.
1: I feel like if she hadn't seen Friends, we would have... That, well, that would just be sad. That's I mean, sad. I,
0: uh, Parks and Rec?
1: No. <gasps> <gasps> no. <sighs> okay. Yeah, well, I... Yeah. What else? What are the other ones?
0: What about... Uh, I was just talking with someone about this the other week and I can't remember it might have actually been on the podcast it was a uh, um holes
1: I can't watch
2: holes it like I saw it when I was a kid and it like scared
1: me to my core there was something about well, it Well it's very scary and the thing is you read this book like I think I we read it in 4th grade mm-hmm. and the book was fine but the movie it was Terrifying. It's not for kids. No, it <laughs> it's was true. not for kids. But all the kids watched it because they were like, "Oh, we read holes." It was now on You Disney can watch channel. Right? Like, <laughs> that's
0: not appropriate.
1: Look, Disney Channel messed a lot of us up. There was a lot <laughs> oh, of TV. Yeah. There was a lot
0: of TV in the early 2000s when we were kids that was absolutely questionable.
1: That and music. I was listening to an early 2000s um, playlist and my workout yesterday, and yeah. it wasn't me. Came on. And I and what what is that? It wasn't me by Shaggy. Oh yeah. Oh. It wasn't me.
0: Oh, thank you.
1: Okay, and sorry. I was really, you know, it was in my headphones so I was like really hearing the lyrics. And the first two seconds of this song are horrible. And I can't believe that as a child you were just like, it wasn't me. It wasn't me. <laughs> and looks well, like her Lopping in the car. Mom, turn it up. <laughs> remember like sixth grade socials when you would like all be on the dance floor like
2: pounding your fists to like in my bed or something? It's like, what were the teachers thinking?
0: Welcome back to West Side Chats. We took a little bit of a break. Um, But we're back. We are back. (laughs) Um, Last episode, we did Throat with Michael. So we're here for episode six. Next chakra in line is Third Eye, also called Ashna. And today we have Ezra Enzo. Ezra, say hi. Hi.
2: Hi. <laughs> um, That's me.
0: We're going to be speaking with her today. And obviously we have Corey sitting over there who's staring into my head like, why didn't you introduce me? The folks know you're here, Corey. You know, Don't worry.
1: I'm important too.
0: You are important. <laughs> um, we're very excited to be back and, uh, we took a little bit of a break, which I think was nice. Had a great retreat almost a month ago, which is crazy to, to That's think about. Crazy.
1: Then we got sick.
0: Yep. Whole household. Really, 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 really sucked. Here, But we now are. we're
1: back. Now we're back.
0: Ezra. Hi. Hi. Thanks for joining us. <laughs> Thank you for having me. Um, so I'm going to, obviously I will let Ezra introduce herself. But how long have you been in our West Side world now? Oh,
2: wow. Um, I joined in April of 20... God, what year is it? I think I joined it's in like... 2023. It's so 2023, 22 probably. Yeah.
0: Is it? I. It's been about a year.
2: Yeah. So it was 2022. Yep. And I joined the 30 for 30. Mm-hmm. And my intention was for the month of April, because I hate April, was that every day I was going to go to yoga class. And so I had the 30 days of April to come in. And I ended up going more than once a day
1: mm-hmm.
2: until Corey approached me and was like, we can't make any money off of you. Um, do you want to just work here? <laughs> That's literally
1: what I said. That's literally that what you what said. said? Yes.
2: And I will never forget it because it was it was like cosmic almost because it was That day, I was realizing that I probably wouldn't be able to afford yoga membership anymore. And so I was in my last class at Westside. It was quartz class. And I was really emotional about it. And I was having this like very intense flow and just really in my feelings. And then I came out of class and Corey's just sitting in the lobby and was like, hey, come over here for a second. And that was that. And I've been coming in ever since.
1: (laughs) Wow.
0: (laughs) I didn't realize that was the uh, Ezra origin story. I love that. <laughs> yeah, I mean, okay. I think
1: I said, we love having you here. Are you interested to work in? And then I said, I can't make any money, money off of you anyways <laughs> because she was coming twice a day.
0: I love it. <sighs> and since that time, there's been quite a bit that you've helped us out with, a lot of stuff that you do right now. Do you want to talk about that a little bit?
2: Yeah, I mean, life has really changed since I joined the studio, mm-hmm. which it's pretty crazy to think about. Because Westside's obviously not just like a yoga studio. It's also a community and it's introduced me to so many people. And it's really inspired me to make different strides and turns in my life. Yeah, so I'm a photographer and I guess artist more generally. So I've been helping out the studio with some photo shoots, which has mm-hmm. been really fun. Working with individual teachers like Sharina to do like more portrait style stuff. And yeah, just to kind of re- connect with, I guess, my own practice and reevaluate what is actually important to me now in this kind of new stage in my life. So, so it's been really, been an exciting
1: year and a half.
0: Awesome.
1: (laughs) Do you want to give a background on your artist journey? A lot of twists and turns in that one. Um, (laughs) Yeah. Okay.
2: Well, let's see. So I was raised by academics who are in the humanities. So I had a very strange upbringing, I guess, because I was always going to museums and we moved around like across the world every year and um, went to the opera every week and like did stuff like that, like that normal kids don't really do, I guess. Mm -hmm. So I was kind of joking around with you guys before that like I'm very culturally out of touch, which is true. But The plus side of that was that I was really exposed to art since I was a child. And my parents always joke that I was like visual even when I was born, that I only cared about things that I could look at. Hmm. So I guess it was sort of like within me the whole time. But then when I was, I think, like 11 or 12, I got my first like point and shoot $30 camera. And it was like the coolest thing I could have possibly owned. And I would just photograph the people that I knew in my life. Um, I think looking back on it now, probably because I was just so curious about people and their personalities and their emotions and the stories that they can kind of tell just by being instead of actually telling them, if that makes sense. Mm -hmm. Um, So I was doing a lot of photography and then I went to a really strange high school and I basically majored in art. And it was this very intense, accelerated program. And so we had complete freedom to do really insane projects, like as if it were college. And I remember I was only doing photography, and my teacher came up to me with a paintbrush one day and she was like, You will paint. And I was like, <laughs> no, I will not. And we had this long fight, basically, of her being like, I'm forcing you to paint. And I was like, you can't force me to do anything. <laughs> wow. But eventually she did win because uh, she was my teacher. And I completely fell in love with painting. So photography just kind of became this like thing that I would maybe do when I was traveling or just kind of pick up on the side. And I didn't really continue to view it as my artistic practice anymore, But it was still always kind of there. But painting really became like my thing. And then I got to college, majored in art, was painting all the time, and then started to show in New York and in Athens and start to sell to private collections, which was really cool. I was living internationally, doing shows internationally. It was really special. But at some point, Last year, I, I don't know. I just like, it was like right when I was, I joined Westside actually. And why I think I needed it so much was I was trying to paint full time and I just like, it was just like causing so much stress and anxiety. And every time I was in the studio, I was like, I hate this. Like, I just Mm. like, I can't force this medium on myself mm. and i had this like huge i mean it sounds dramatic but it was like this existential crisis almost mm-hmm. of i don't know what to
1: do
0: oh we're, we're very familiar with existential <laughs> yeah, crises around here. <laughs> don't worry for a
2: second and it's scary it's scary i'm like Pretty i don't know scary. i mean you self-identify as an artist all the time and then all of a sudden you're not making art it's like okay well then what am i even so i yeah i had this like kind of like slow burn breakdown almost um and then just picked up my camera again, realized that I love this, and it's not forced, and this feels natural, it feels comfortable, it makes me happy. So I just, like, packed up my painting studio one day, got in touch with a friend to see if she wanted to rent the room for me <laughs> instead, and uh, became a photographer. So that's sort of where I am now, and I couldn't be happier with it. So wow. it's been a long journey. Wow. Yeah.
0: There's a lot we could jump into here, um, but one of the reasons that we wanted to have you on for this episode, the third eye chakra, Ajna, as it's called in Sanskrit, as we've kind of talked through the chakras through this podcast, we've found a great way to kind of integrate it with the background of the person that we're speaking to, right? And you as an artist, it just completely makes sense. There's a lot of detail. There's a lot of background history that we can go into on what the third eye chakra is, what it represents, you know, get into all of that. And we'll bring up more things as we kind of talk throughout the podcast. But one of the things I want to throw out about it is that, again, a lot of different ways to describe it, but one of the key ways is sort of interoception, is looking inward, you know, it is called the third eye. You have two eyes that give you your external vision, let you see the physical world in front of you. Along with that, the third eye, gives you that additional vision that lets you see beyond the physical, lets you see past. If you are reading about this, you Google it or you find books, you're often going to read about Brahman, which is considered the supreme energy of the universe that's present in all of us. It's often referred to as divinity. And when we, quote unquote, can access or open, however you'd like to refer to it, your third eye chakra, it lets you see beyond the physical, see what's unique in people. And I thought what you talked about as a kid, right, your upbringing with two academic parents, right, it certainly is unique. And you talked about kind of being able to see past just the physical and maybe connect with people on a more emotional level, maybe think a little bit deeper than the average child does. Do you think that's a fair way to talk about that?
1: Yeah,
2: it's funny that you put it in those words because um, actually... A little over a year ago, I was having dinner with a friend um, who actually just recently joined the studio. <laughs> and she said something to me about me that was probably the best thing that anyone's ever said because it was a huge compliment, but it was also a huge insult at the same time, <laughs> <laughs> which was great. I mean, it was like, it was what I needed to hear. And I really hope my parents won't listen to this podcast, but it's actually nah. something that I'm going to get tattooed eventually on me, because it really changed how I even view myself. But she basically, she said that I have this tendency to act like a sculptor standing in front of a block of marble and that I can always see the sculpture beneath it. So her point was that I can somehow see the potential and the beauty in other people, which is a huge compliment. Mm-hmm. But I can so often be misled by that potential yeah. when it's in fact not the reality that's being presented to me. So what you're saying is exactly that. And yeah. I'm not totally sure where that comes from, but I do think, yeah, just moving around so much as a kid and constantly trying to like read the room and Mm -hmm. figure out, you know, how to best serve the emotions of other people around me um, was something that I just was required to do, or at least I required that of myself. And so I think now it's just instinct. It is kind of that intuition.
0: How often did you move around as a kid? So a lot of what you just talked about, right? And Corey will recognize this too. It's very similar to me, actually. Oh my gosh, I'm sitting Um, over
1: here like, maybe I'll just excuse myself
0: (laughs) and leave. (laughs) Um, Yeah, for those of you that can hear, I have this nasty, awesome new laugh that sounds like Seth Rogen because I've got this cough that I just can't get rid of in my throat. It's awesome. Nice. Um, (laughs) I bring it up because, as you know, right, we actually have this fun little connection. You know, I lived in Italy when I was a kid. I was a Mm -hmm. uh, very different style of parents, I guess. Military dad, mom's a psychologist. We ended up living in Italy when I was in middle school. And I've often felt... Kind of a similar a similar feeling of kind of like looking past people and i've done a lot of work on this i know for me that it's a lot of you know i had to move around so much as a kid that you know you have to move you have to make friends try to connect to new people and so an unfortunate outcome of that for me was that i was hyper aware of what are people thinking about me do they like me i'm trying to make new friends in this new area is this working You know, that's not necessarily a positive result of that, but I think now, today, you know, it's a skill, it's a gift. Having that ability, some might call it more empathy. It can be a gift, but it can also be a bit of a curse, no? A bit of an overactive mind. It is kind of interesting that well, to be honest, I think it's
1: interesting that Joe also felt a connection to photography as well at one point. Mm -hmm. You know, not in a professional capacity, but loves picking up the camera and capturing Pia in these really raw moments. Mm -hmm. Um, He's captured me in moments too when he was super into it at some point. So it's interesting that you both kind of had this urge to do this and like capture people Mm -hmm. in a way where you're like seeing past and through them seeing their beauty. And I think that that's... It's really interesting. Yeah. Yeah. It's a
2: weird thing of, I think, also just bouncing around a lot. You want to document everything because mm. it's it feels so fleeting.
0: Yeah, absolutely.
2: And yeah, no, I totally understand what you're saying. I think empathy is a word I hear a lot. Yeah. <laughs> and I don't really see it as this just great quality. I think that it is mm-hmm. really a double-edged sword. I mean, the joke that I always give, and it's a bit of a lighter way of putting it, but Every movie that I watch, every book that I read, every music video I watch, I will watch a trailer for a movie or whatever, anything I'm crying at, like anything. Mm. And it's just this outpour of emotion that is completely inconsistent with the moment, Mm. if that makes sense.
0: What I've noticed as a kid, I know Corey has felt this too, we watched a lot of movies when I was a kid, moved around a lot. We really only had, you know, my two younger brothers, my mom and my dad, and we would do Friday night movie nights, right? Pizza, movie. Uh, you know, I would go to Blockbuster. If mm-hmm. anyone's like, what's that? Stop listening to this podcast. Immediately. Um, <laughs> it was a good time. Blockbuster it was, it, it was so good, great. <laughs> it was a great time. Uh, but no, we would go, you know, on a Friday night, go with my dad and my brothers. We'd pick out a movie. We'd get frozen pizza. We'd go home. It was a fun thing. But um, something that I've noticed as I kind of look back at my childhood is that I would watch movies and me and my brothers would get so invested in the movie, it, like, like, framing it as we were in the movie ourselves. To me, empathy is almost kind of this nature versus nurture argument, right? Is it there or is it developed? I don't know what the answer is. I'm not a psychologist. I don't know anything about that. I've always felt that kind of similarly, not in the sense of like I would cry at a music video or feel this overwhelming sense of emotion, but I was very easily able to kind of switch my mind off and put myself in the context of, like, that story or that movie or try to understand why they're doing things a certain way or why they take certain actions.
1: I mean, I do that, too.
0: Yeah, I know. Because I,
1: like, really dive into, like, more, like, fantasy-type stories as well, like Mm -hmm. Harry Potter or the Marvel Universe. Like, I love diving in, like, Mm -hmm. to a story like that, and I do feel similarly where I will, like, cry when no one else is yes. yeah. where like I'm just like taking it on and I can feel it you know
2: yeah it's hard it's like also there are moments where like if I'm sick or something so I binge watch a tv show as you do when you're sick <laughs> for the next couple of days my headspace is like the emotion of the show Yeah. so mm-hmm. there was a period of Absolutely. my life especially when I was a teenager where I could only really watch comedies Not because I preferred them, but because I realized (laughs) that I would like come into school in the morning and if I had been watching something really dramatic, then all of a sudden, everything would be dramatic. Everything would be perceived in that light. And I I would take things so much more personally. Whereas when I watched comedies, I could take things in a really lighthearted (laughs) way. And so I like internalized all of these emotions all the time. It was... Yeah, I mean, I guess when you're a teenager, everything's a little bit more emotional. But yeah, it was it was an intense time for me. Hmm.
0: I mean, everyone has that experience as a child, right? Watching movies. I feel like the experience that a lot of people don't have, and Corey's a, a good example of this, right, is the impact of moving around a lot as a kid. There's benefits, there's drawbacks, just like someone who doesn't move around a lot Corey went to the same school for 13 years right 13 year club mm-hmm. um I can't even think of all the different schools that I've been to but like Corey has lifelong friends from you know kindergarten that are friends today that were in our wedding I have no such friends and not like oh Joe has no friends from childhood it's just the way it is it's just you know I lived in Virginia and then we moved to Florida when I was in like second grade then I was in Puerto Rico then I was in Italy then I was back in Maryland like you know it's just it's all over the place and I think you kind of have to develop that empathy. Some people have to develop an empathetic side. And some people, just by nature of their circumstance, it just ends up not being as necessary.
1: I'm wondering if just where you had to move around and you were alone, like starting new schools and being in new environments by yourself, were you also looking inward a lot just as a kid anyways, right? Because- Oh, yeah. You're kind of forced to, to yeah. in a way and you have to be really comfortable with yourself and be comfortable being with yourself and looking in and from there making the decisions that you want to do everything feels a bit more planned out and calculated and not in like the negative way but just mm-hmm. whereas I would you know just walk in and say hi and talk to people that I've known my whole life and you guys would walk into a room in the beginning of the school year not know anyone have to take A lot of time to like be with yourself, think inwardly, and then really select how you wanted to present yourself.
2: And language plays such a huge role in that too. When I moved to Germany, I was about five, and my school basically decided that they didn't want to waste their time putting me in classes with the other kids because they were in German. And so I would just fall behind. And so instead of just learning German, like, Most other kids would have done. (laughs) They put me into a room separate from everybody else and they gave me a stack of books and they were like, just read. Wow. And so the only time that I ever had exposure to the other kids was during math class, which is, you know, a universal language. So it was Mm. fine. And so I didn't really have contact with the other kids. And if I said, thank you in German to one of them, they would all just freak out because it was like, oh my God, she speaks. Mm -hmm. Like it was this really strange and alienating environment. And that was a really weird experience. And one that like at least spoiled me on math. Like we'll put it that way. (laughs) Yeah. So that was always a huge aspect of moving around was that it was, there was a lot of change in languages. So it wasn't even just culture and people, but it was even just the basics. Mm -hmm. And and I had to be kind of alone and independent in that. I mean, I was five years old. My brother and I would go to school, the subway, on our own in Berlin. And like, that was that. And we had to just kind of deal with it. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. So that was definitely a kind of a crazier experience. But but that kind of level of, of introspection definitely was an outcome for sure. I think I only know this now, but I think I had to learn how to really love myself, which I didn't do until way too late in life. Mm-hmm. Same. Um, yeah.
0: <laughs> because
2: it's so easy to be feel, so like critical. Every,
0: sorry. I feel like everyone listening right now is going to be like, wow, same. You <laughs> know, it's like that, no, and sorry, I don't mean to say that. Like, it's not unique to you. But, you no, know, I feel like not. that is such a it's universal thing. And some, I was thinking about this the other day. Like, I feel like everyone at some point has to kind of have that realization and have that like moment of oh, I don't really like myself that much. Or, wow, I've built up this thing, but it's not what I want. right? And we'll get into that in a second, because I'm interested to hear your story there. But everyone has that moment at some point. And it can be really scary. right? I've used the phrase ego death before on the podcast before. I feel like that's kind of the concept. It's like an earth shattering moment of like, oh, wow, I'm learning something about myself. Or you know, oh, I don't love myself or, you know, I really need to work on this. And it can be very scary. And especially as a kid, I know for me, my outlet, I would lie a lot. Like as (laughs) I would, like I was a compulsive liar as a little kid. I'd just make shit up just to make people like me because it was the only it was like the only way I knew how, whether you learn it later, you learn it younger. It's it's not an easy process to go through. I think what
1: it is, is as you get older, at least with our generations, that you figure out that you haven't really been perhaps living your authentic self or your mm-hmm. authentic truth. Maybe because you were a paintbrush was forced in your hand, or you were told you had to go to school and do this thing and there was no other way. And so then you've built your whole life and this whole narrative for yourself around that. And then something happens and you're like, wait, that's not me. I have not been listening to myself for the truth that's in me. I've been fabricating and making up stories that allow me to live this version of my life, but it's not the one that makes me feel truly like me. And therefore, yeah, you probably didn't love yourself because you weren't actually listening to what you wanted. Mm -hmm. And so it is this practice that you have to continually do of this introspection of like, okay, am I living my authentic self? Am I speaking my authentic truth out to the world? And then do I feel good about that inside? Yeah,
2: Yeah, and I didn't really notice that in myself until like all of the relationships, and not just romantic, but like friendships, just the people in my life, all of them would kind of crumble because it was always that dynamic of like, I'm just going to appease you. I'm just going to be whoever you need me to be because you need that and Mm -hmm. I want to be there for you. And so then, of course, it would get to a point where it's like, okay, this is not a real relationship. It's not a good dynamic because I've just been catering to exactly what you need. And it's because I, yeah, grew up needing to do that all the time. And so I kind of had this moment now probably a year and a half two years ago where I was like this is not good (laughs) Like, I can't keep doing this like and that kind of led me to the question of okay well who am I then you know Mm -hmm. it's like that big that big question hence the existential crisis (laughs) uh, a little while ago
1: (laughs) yeah
0: I have a story to share with that but I'd like to hear more about that from you if you're comfortable sharing how did that realization come to fruition? But the other thing that I'm curious about as well is what was it like going through, I won't ask you to like go all the way back to when you started painting, but like, you know, you went to college. Mm -hmm. You went to RISD. Sorry, sorry. What was that like going through a four-year program, doing something intentionally, and then realizing after the fact, in the middle of it, like, oh, fuck, this ain't it, yeah. you know? Because I, I know what that's like. I've had that. And I'm curious to hear, what was that like?
2: Mm. Okay, so I'm going to answer your questions backwards so yeah. it's chronological. Go for it. So the funny thing is that when I was in college and painting and studying poetry and, you know, doing the classic liberal arts, very privileged education, mm-hmm. I didn't see anything wrong with it. I thought that that's who I was. I was, I wouldn't say happy, because it was a really difficult four years for me, just kind of on a personal level. But the big struggle for me artistically was the question of how much of your identity has to be a part of the work that you produce, if that makes sense. So Mm -hmm. I was in the honors program for art, which meant that it was a select group of 12 of us that were this kind of cohort and we had all these extra classes and we met with artists and did all the stuff and we all had our own studios. And I looked around at the people in my cohort and I saw them all say, okay, well, here's this painting about this friend of mine who has this disease. So I wanted to do a thing about this disease. Or some people would talk about, you know, really intense family situations or they would talk about just these horrible traumas in their past. And I was so unbelievably judgmental of that. Mm. And I kind of put myself in this box of not being too good for it, but just not needing to express my trauma in. Art and that I could just be intellectual, and that was something that my parents actually would praise me for constantly. Of we're so proud of you for not victimizing yourself, for not telling people the things that have happened, for not expressing these things. So I genuinely thought that that was like a cool asset of mine. Mm. Until the end of college, I was living in Spain and I was doing a residency, and I was living with these unbelievable artists um, who very quickly became some of my best friends. And on our first night of living together, we got into this huge argument about this very thing because they were like, you know, like you're an artist, you have experiences, you are a person first, that has to be a part of your work. And so it was only then that I was starting to kind of unravel and starting to have this moment of like, oh my God, how do I... How do I move forward with this? How do I express? How do I be an artist if I have no idea where it's coming from? Mm -hmm. It's not my brain. It should be my heart. And it just wasn't. Um, So that's kind of when things started to get really dicey for me. But it all came to a head more, I guess, emotionally and across my life, not just in art. Yeah, about a year and a half, two years ago. And it was just like a series of just like things happening in my personal life. So I had a really sudden breakup, uh, with someone that I really cared about. And it was the first relationship that I'd had in a really long time. So that was really jarring for me. And I had kind of this wake up call. I grew up in a family environment that like with all of its privileges and there were definitely many, many privileges. It was not a healthy living situation for me. And I was in substance abusive households, sometimes physically abusive, things that I had never even like said out loud before until Mm. pretty recently. And so all of this started to come up for me at the same time that I was going through this breakup and having this like kind of life path decision of what should I do. And so I decided to kind of break up with my parents. (laughs) Um, and I didn't really speak to my mom who at this point I had always considered to be like my best friend. I told her everything. We talked every day and I didn't speak to her for many months, um, just to take space. And that's kind of when this whole like self-realization thing started of like, okay, like if I remove everything else, all the external factors, all of the expectations, what is left? And I had to build that because I felt like I had just become this different image for a different person and there wasn't anything underneath that image anymore and so it was not even so much I guess realization as it was like I have to build a human being now (laughs) Um, wow yeah it was intense
0: that's build a (laughs) human wow that's a great way to describe it wow yeah (laughs) yeah
2: So, but I feel great now. I'm like so much happier and like lighter now. So it was so worth it. Like, I don't want this to sound like some sort of sob story because it's not. But it was so necessary and Mm -hmm. it's so fulfilling. Like,
1: you know, it's funny and I hope this is a fair depiction. And please, if this is rude, you can say that it was rude. The way that you just described how you feel like lighter. I've seen your art, your paintings, and I've seen your photography your paintings are dark mm-hmm. and heavy and your photography is light yeah, and playful and free yeah. feeling. So it's really interesting that you say that you feel this lightness because mm-hmm. I think it shows in your work.
2: Yeah, totally. Sometimes I will look back on like even just my early photography, like when I first started, I was like, wow, like you were <laughs> you were going through it, weren't you? Mm. I mean, there is a huge difference. And it's also funny because I felt like at the time when I was doing those paintings that I wasn't actually expressing what was going on. It was for me, yeah, this is intellectual. This is just like, you know, something that's going on in my brain that I'm thinking about, that I'm reading about in class. Like I didn't see it as conveying any emotion whatsoever so it is now super funny to go back and yeah. be like oh no it was there <laughs> it
1: was pretty clear
0: <laughs> man well thank you for sharing all oh, of that yeah. first of all you can get as as personal as you want i mean i've i've been arrested like i've talked about you know that kind of stuff before actually i don't know if i've I don't talked think about that, said before. that before <laughs> no maybe uh, i didn't know wowie. Yeah, wowie. <laughs> we'll get into that um no thank you thanks for sharing all that yeah. um i don't want to make it about myself but our journeys have actually been very, very similar. I was a military brat, was kind of told my whole life, you know, that's the way to go. Join the Navy, get a degree that will pay you a lot of money, start a family, work hard, retire, whatever. Um, <laughs> sorry. That's, that's how I feel about it. I can't it. wait to well,
2: see no, how that's going to sound.
0: I could not give less of a shit. Um, <laughs> no, Corey and I were just talking about this last night. It's like, Especially for our generation, right? And you're I know you're a couple of years younger than us, but you're you're in our generation. Everyone as a kid was kind of sold the American dream, quote unquote, you can be whatever you want to be. My path was similar in the sense that I wanted to study theater in mm-hmm. college. I wanted to be an actor. I wanted to go down that path. I was musical. I had many forms of musical expression in high school, which were helpful. But I was always told that those things are not a way to make money. Those things are not a way to live life. They're hobbies, right? There's more important things. You need to make sure your education is valuable, right? I ended up doing ROTC, was in the Navy while I was in college, and I studied engineering. And I had always been good at math and science. They just kind of made sense to me. But they weren't really interesting to me. It was like, "Mm, it's fine, but it's not like what I want to do. But I did it because that was kind of what I was told to do. It's what I was told was in my best interest. So this is the best thing for you to do, Joe, right? Instead of saying, what do you want to do? Not until my last semester of college, literally my last semester of college, I had an elective and I took a religion class about East Asian religions by a guy named Doug Brooks, who is one of my favorite people on earth. And taking that class, it was basically looking at the origins of the Vedas and yogic tradition in India and kind of how that was kind of the first impetus and then kind of spread eastward throughout the rest of Asia, the introduction of Buddhism and how those integrated with the other native belief systems all over Asia. And like two weeks into it, I told Corey, I was like, I feel so fucking stupid right now because I absolutely love this. I love it. I was like, I I, I want to major in this. I wanna I want to go to grad school for this. But in that last semester, I already knew what I was going to do after college. I had already been placed for flight school. I was already done with my engineering degree, and it was like the path was set. And so to take a class like that my senior year, <laughs> I was really just kind of like, fuck.
1: It was kind of wild too, since I was there yeah, and witnessed this. There, yeah. It was when you were on the stage, you were alive. Mm-hmm. When you were with your friends, you were alive. When you would go to class and go do your ROTC things, you were like, <laughs> get me. Yeah, I mean, <laughs> Sorry, I don't know what else to, to say. No, I mean, you yeah. were just going through the motions yeah. because you had to. Yep. When I, you I would felt like I When you to. would come home after that class, I yeah. mean, you wouldn't shut up. It was like something had been unlocked and you were so happy. And we are sitting here 10 years later and he's still talks about this class. Yeah. It's so beautiful. And obviously, it's yeah. related to what we do now yeah. as a business and also maybe where Joe like has dreams of where he wants to take his future around this. But 10 years later, we talk about the class. Joe still reads the books from this class. Mm-hmm. And I can't imagine what it was like in your head being like sitting there. Oh, my God, this is amazing. But wait, my whole life is already planned. yeah, And I can't change it.
0: Yeah. Yeah. So then the outcomes of that, right, I graduated, I immediately went to flight school, there was an early slot available. And I took it because I didn't want to sit around and wait, got through it, did the whole thing, ended up making it to Texas was like four months later. And at that point, I kind of was, you know, I realized I was really not happy. I was like, this isn't it. I was like, I don't want to do this. I had to wait so long for training and school to get kicked off because there was, you know, a lot of people doing it at the time. And in an act of self sabotage if it even was that. I had a little hiccup. I had a drunken incident and was arrested. And this was like 6 months after the end of this class. This was like 6 months after I graduated college. Obviously very very world shattering. Um oh my god, I'm not going to be in flight school anymore. That's my whole life. What am I going to do? And at the time, right, it's like I didn't really know how to I didn't know how to reconcile it because I was like, well, if I can't be in the Navy, like that's the end of my life. That was it. That's what it felt like in my that head. Was
2: the that was the expectation.
0: And it took me so long. It took me so long to realize that it needed to happen for me to figure out what I needed to do to be happy. Because after that, I went to, you know, I got out of the Navy. It was my choice. I decided to. I could have stayed in if I wanted to. I decided I wanted to get out. And that was a big thing in and of itself to go to, you know, my dad, who was in the Navy at the time, still serving in the military active at the same time, and say, this isn't it. I want to get out. This isn't right for me. Even that was challenging in and of itself. But then I still tried to fit myself in a box after the fact, right? I went to business school and got my MBA because I thought that's the right thing to do. I still need to do something that's going to make money. But I was still not listening to, like now I'm looking at doing a PhD program for religion. And I'm so excited by that idea. I just wish I had gone for it and and realized that like this is what I want to do and not been afraid. But um, I think that
1: the thing is it is not too late exactly yeah. to recognize and make the change. Mm-hmm. I don't care if you're 30 or 50 or 70. Yeah. All of these in like both of your lives like these things have happened and like what happened to you was like this very like Head-on self-sabotage moment that, like, for sure, was your subconscious being like, "There's mm-hmm. got to be a way." It's like pulling the reins to, to all of a to, sudden you know? to do this and actually force, force the conversation, mm-hmm. and force you to.
0: It's the conversation with yourself. That's yeah. what it is, yeah. not with anyone else. Yeah. And
2: it's one of those moments too that, like, is so. Earth shatteringly horrible in the moment.
1: Mm-hmm. And
2: then you can look back on it as this was the best moment.
1: I mean, we because say thank God for that every day. God. Yeah. yeah. Exactly. I mean, it is one for Joe's personal life, for our life yeah. and relationship.
0: We'd be in a very different place right it now. It just if wouldn't still... even,
1: who, like, sometimes I'm like, I don't know if we would have been together mm. because mm-hmm. I don't know if that was the path, but clearly. We were meant to be together and this was the path that we were supposed to go on because the way that, obviously this is like Joe's story to share, but like the incident occurred in such a way where it was truly like only Joe was the one that was at risk or put in harm's way. Looking back on it, it felt like, wow, this like is the universe. Like this is Mm -hmm. something greater because it was just this completely personal experience and then self-reflection realization that occurred after yeah i don't know if that's fair to to say but that was just from the outside looking in yeah
0: the thing is and i think this is kind of a good closing topic it's not over right this process and i'm sure ezra you'll you'll agree with this right i'm going to be a painter this is what i'm doing it's what i've been told my whole life someone forced a paintbrush in my hands right anyone who's gone through this knows what I'm talking about. You have that moment and just you're a you know fucking piece of glass and you just get smashed with a hammer, right? That's what it feels like. And now you have to pick up the pieces. But picking up all those pieces takes so much time. It is not just a like, that's it. Oh, I had my moment. I'm on my path now. No. It's, well, it's what Ezra
1: said, rebuilding a human. No, I, right, I know, right,
0: exactly. It's the rebuilding a the human. The problem, it's, though, is yeah. when you
2: do it so often, you get really good at it. <laughs> um, so, in my yeah, circumstance, I, it was, and I think this goes back to what we are talking about before about moving around so much is, like, you are rebuilding yourself every single time. Yep. And so for me, like, I had to fight so hard now in my adult life to not pick up and move every year. Mm-hmm. Like, I mm. last, this past summer, I signed a lease for the second time. I I've never done that in my entire life. I've never yeah. lived in one space in one apartment for more than a year ever. Oh my! Until God, now. Why
1: am I here, you guys? I don't. know. <laughs> did you know that you were this similar? No, I didn't. No. Because I mean, Joe no. about been moving around, and so stuff, here's but, the thing: like this is the longest place that Joe has ever lived. Providence will do that to you, with
0: the exception of like when I was born. I lived in Virginia for seven years after I was born, and then we moved. So, but we've now been in Providence close on five, six years, which. In my adult life, by far. Like
1: physical home, yeah. too. Physical, like. yeah,
0: for physical home, for me, that's absolutely true. Yeah, and physical space. Physical
2: home is a huge deal. I mean, that's another big yeah. thing about moving around. You don't have that. You don't yeah. have a childhood home. You don't have a childhood yeah. bedroom with all of your childhood toys. Like, I never had that. Yeah. And so I now go home to my apartment. and I have, you know, a beautiful dog and, and a wonderful roommate. And we've built this home. Mm-hmm. And it's like... Mm-hmm. For both of us, it's new. And it's such a special feeling of like, wow, this is what roots feel like. This Mm -hmm. is a huge, huge moment. So it's very exciting. Yeah. Yeah.
0: You really do have to get good at rebuilding the human. Yeah. It's a good way to think about it (laughs) with with moving around. And I think what I'm learning now, because like I'm still going through this process of like trying to express myself, live what feels right to me yo, know, I'm currently not speaking to a parent as well at the moment. And it's it's extremely challenging. I don't want to do it. I have to because of my convictions and I believe in it. But it doesn't make it easy. It doesn't yeah. mean it doesn't mean I hate them. It's just, it's putting the human back together takes a long time.
2: It takes a long time, but the one thing that I have learned to focus on is the really thrilling and hopeful aspects of it. Like when I was an undergrad... I took this philosophy class in my first semester of my first year because when you go to college, you have to take a philosophy class. It's in every movie, so it has to be done. So so I did that. There was um, this woman in my class. She must have been in her 60s or 70s. Her name was Rosemary. I will never forget Rosemary. And she wore like a fisherman's hat and she had hiking poles to get her across campus. And she was also a freshman. Across the Brown campus? Across the Brown campus. She had hiking poles because she needed the. That <laughs> well, because she needed well, the. It, support. Is, it is
0: hilly. It is College oh, Hill. You're right,
2: right. It's hilly. And she was like older and she had like weak knees okay. and, and she was a freshman. And she would sit in the front of the classroom in this desk every single class and she would be mm. asking questions and she would be making these really interesting observations that half the time were completely wrong. And, you know, the kids including myself, like, we would be like, who is this? Like, it's so weird. Like, I can't believe she's a freshman. That's so funny. But now, it's like, that is truly the most exciting thing about, you know, rebuilding this human over Mm -hmm. and over and over again is that there is this, like, really, exciting opportunity to just always be exposing yourself to new things, to bringing in a new aspect of yourself that you didn't even know was there, or maybe it wasn't actually there until recently. Mm-hmm. And I don't know, I think that picking up the pieces, these broken pieces, yeah, it's not easy and it's very painful to have to know that you have to eventually leave some of those pieces on the floor,
0: mm-hmm. right? Yeah.
2: But there is also just this like really, really beautiful side of you have no idea what that's going to bring. And I have always valued that about life in general, that there is always just this, like, you have no idea what's going to happen. And that can be daunting and horrible and scary and beautiful. And
0: yeah,
1: I love that. And it gets me back to when you were describing the third eye, we have these two eyes that see this physical world, but we're also blinded because we can't see yeah. past what's just in front of us. Yep. And so how do we find the time to close those down so we can see beyond?
0: Yeah. It's a really important point. It's a good point to close on to. One of the things I wanted to mention within third eye, right, if you are reading about it, exploring it, the concept really is looking at something without judgment. And really, as I was kind of researching this, the word that kept coming to mind is neutrality.
2: Mm-hmm.
0: And, you know, I think we might think of third eye as our intuition, which is certainly true to some extent. It does represent our intuition. It represents. The image of Ajna of the third eye chakra is two petals on either side of a circle, and each one has the Sanskrit symbol. One is for Shiva and one is for Shakti, both being deities in the in the Hindu religion, but they also represent dualities. It represents fire and water. Mm-hmm. Um, and so again, that third eye, it represents kind of that dissolution of duality. It's recognizing again that there is oneness, Divinity in everyone. And for people that are, you know, doing this work that are rebuilding the human, approaching things neutrally is, I think, really the way that you want to approach doing your inner work, you know, meditating, doing your third eye. Because even if you have trauma, if you have specific people that have hurt you, Trying to approach it objectively, neutrally, is the hardest thing in the world, period. Full stop. But if you really want to understand and kind of visualize that next level of human that you're building, being able to look at some of those past things and say, I acknowledge it. I forgive it. You know, I, I understand that it's there. I understand what I've learned from it. And I'm not going to hold. Ill will towards it. I'm not going to hold goodwill towards it. It's just, it's neutral. It happened.
2: Acceptance. Acceptance. Mm,
0: Exactly. Yeah. I mean, geez, we could keep going for another hour. I really Um, could. Yeah. (laughs) I love to talk. Yeah. um <laughs> I've had so much coffee today too it's <laughs> <laughs> active active third eye there's also this great story I wanted to share about you Shiva share it. and the third share eye no, it.
1: No, we <laughs> okay we'll share it next um, season
0: if anyone's season. if anyone's interested we'll leave you with some tidbits I suppose there's a great story about Shiva opening his third eye and using it as a weapon to eliminate this god, this, this god, this god Oh, wow. you, well, you have been so here. here. Really well, has Can you tell <laughs> I've, I've lived in Rhode Island now for forever? Um, uh, uh, kills this god, I believe, called Kamadeva, something like that. And to me, it kind of represented seeing past temptation or desire and getting to Using your third eye to perceive what's not there and doing what's right for you. It's a very interesting story. If people are interested, I'm sure we'll talk about it another time. But go look it up. If you happen to be in Danielle's class, ask her about it. Cause she just yes, is like she's a, a queen. She's like a living Bhagavad Gita. She's like got all she those really stories is. just sitting in her head, and it's fantastic. On that note, Ezra, thanks for joining us. Thank today. you. Thank this you so is, much, Ezra. Yeah, this is an amazing conversation. I absolutely loved it. We will certainly continue it. There's tons of stuff that we didn't touch on, but I really, really appreciate you sharing this with us. It was really awesome.
1: Thank you so much. And Ezra, could you share where people can find your your work or book you or any of that info? Oh yeah,
2: cool. So I'm on Instagram, uh, Ezra Enzo Photography. That's also my website. So EzraEnzoPhotography.com. Facebook I guess if people still use
0: (laughs) doing so you're doing weddings right you're doing Um, all kinds of photography work a lot of it is personal branding kind of stuff now. kind of I mean
2: so I am mostly booking weddings and engagements these days but I also really like to do creative headshots so like not just like you know business person in a suit yeah. at a three-quarter <laughs> turn in front of a weird gray <laughs> backdrop, you know? Um but to we all really of, of course. Um but yeah, I just like to like embrace, you know, more um I don't want to discriminate, but I would say like it tends to be more of the creative brands. Um so people who are doing like their own work in healing and in clothing or whatever. Yep. Um so that's kind of, the kind of stuff I like to do. And yeah. Yeah. that's, that's, it. that's it. awesome
1: <laughs>
0: and if you see her at studio
1: but yeah say hi to me say hi, <laughs> say hi. <laughs> I mean you all do you're all nice yeah
0: <laughs> awesome well
1: thanks Ezra, thanks, Ezra. thank you
0: alright bye everybody bye bye, bye.